I am not opening. Uh, come oh. on, Phil. <laughs> come on, Phil. No, this no, is I'm not opening. Actually, we, no, this no. Is what, we're already recording this, so this is part of the intro now. <laughs> this is part of the intro now, yeah. This is the debate we have every time yeah. on Control Matters. Okay. the Phil Russo. <laughs> but it, it always lands on me. I think we need to take it in turns. <sighs> Go on there, man. <laughs> okay. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the 2023 end-of-year Christmas special. Uh, I'm delighted to say it's the whole band back together. So, hello, yeah. Phil. Nice to see you again. Good to see you, Martin. And good day, Phil. Professor, Martin. Professor Mitchell, good evening yeah, to you. Good, good to morning from my point of view. He's the, uh, he's the youngster of the group, isn't he, Martin? We've discovered. He is. We've been discussing mm. our dates of births and, um, uh, for reasons that will become apparent later on in the podcast. So uh, we'll see how we go. Now, for anyone, who's, for anyone who's thinking, oh, this is going to be a scientific um, odyssey tonight, think again. Um, if you haven't heard our Christmas special before, it's not your typical infection control models, matters podcast podcast. Uh, we just like to have a bit more fun, a bit more lighthearted in this episode, don't we, boys? Not that any of our episodes aren't anyway, but uh, but yeah. No. Although I'm, I'm going to drag a bit of science into it, possibly. Uh, yeah, look, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Well, where are we going to kick off? Phil, um, he's just muted himself, so he doesn't want to talk to us. Well, no. we had some... <laughs> we, uh, no, we, <laughs> sorry. Okay, so we, we, we'll talk about a couple of our favourite papers of the year, and as a, as a bit of a kicker, I thought we'd talk. We'd find a paper from the year of our birth, and talk about that. Um, mm. let, let's do I that because sometimes the history is interesting, and in my case, well, ancient history is interesting. I'm going to be fascinated because I, I, you know, find to find out what you have found. I struggled a little bit. I thought, but then I came across something I thought was brilliant. So, um, well, brilliant in terms of. Um, it's relevant still today. Let's go on first. Well, well I, I think you should, should after that introduction. Well, I don't know. Which, which oh. order are we going to go? In? The youngest oh, first? Oh, yes. Should, the should. Uh, we, should, we, should, we should say respect for the elderly. And, I um, think we okay. should pay respect to the elders, <laughs> yes. Thank, thank you very much. Okay, so I'm going to take you back to 1955. And as a bit of a giggle, I thought I would find the number one record at the time. And to be honest, I'm a bit gutted because... It's not what I was hoping it was. So I have this. Hernando's <laughs> Hideaway by the Johnson Brothers. And basically my mother did it too early because if she had hung on just seven days, I'd have had Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley. Oh, <laughs> that would be a lot better. Honestly. So I've, I've got Hernando's Hideaway. Um, Probably I wonder what Fernando's doing these days. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's pushing up the daisies, I suspect. Because <laughs> if he was that old when I was born, he's definitely not going to be around. But he'd be, I mean, he'd still be in uh, tango classes and um, pasodobles and that sort of stuff the worldwide. Anyway, so I go looking for a, a paper from the year of my birth. So I think, ah, shall I go to the Journal of Hospital Infection? Nope, that didn't appear till the 80s. Neither did Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology. I wondered about the Journal of Hygiene, which is now um, Epidemiology and Infection. But when I rummaged around a bit, I found actually a really nice paper by a chap called Edward Lowbury, who 
the one of the founders of the Healthcare Infection Society. Yeah, uh, the library lecturer is that name? It, the, the library lecturer is E. J. L. Lowbury. Um, so it's Edward Lowbury, uh, who worked in the uh, MRC, the Medical Research Council Hospital and Burns Unit at Birmingham Accident Hospital. He then went on to found the in hospital infection laboratory uh, with people like John Babb and Graham Aliff. Um, the JL in his name actually stands for Joseph Lister because his dad was a doctor and named him after wow. Joseph Lister, which is really quite interesting. And the paper yeah. is actually from the British Medical Journal. So, you know, it's a decent journal. Uh, mm -hmm. This is dated April 23, 1955. And the title of the paper is called Cross Infection of Wounds with Antibiotic Resistant Organisms. Wow. In 1955. <laughs> so Sounds he's good. really concerned about antibiotic resistance when really, they, you know, there weren't that many antibiotics around. So this is, I'm, th I'm reading yeah. this paper thinking, well, we're still in exactly the same spot. And uh, do you know what? The first sentence grabbed me, which is the dilemma of hospital infection has been complicated rather than solved by chemotherapy. And yeah. I thought, wow. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and right. he talks about the previous uh, paper from Miles from 1944, where he pointed out that the errors of um, excusing perfunctory asepsis on the grounds that sulfonamides and penicillin were available. That was the problem because people thought antibiotics were around. They didn't th really think they had to worry too much about preventing infection. So mm. he goes on to talk about um, preventing infections and primarily in the surgical wound, because don't forget, there weren't too many invasive procedures other than surgery in those days. Um, so he talks mm. quite a lot about that. And it's it's saying that it's in surgery that the new dilemma is particularly evident because the organisms which cause infection uh, are the organisms that are outstanding in their ability to acquire resistance to chemotherapeutic agents, which is antibiotics. So I thought mm. this is really quite a nice paper. It's a good discussion. Uh, it's talking about the use of uh, streptomycin and penicillin, but of course we're starting to see penicillin resistance around that time. Uh, they were showing that they could produce um, resistant strains by exposing Staph aureus to neomycin. Um, actually, there's quite a few papers around that time that talk about Staphylococcus pyogenes as well, because there was still some debate. It was, it was uh, Staph pyogenes brackets aureus uh, around as well. But then he starts to talk about what we need to do about it. And he was talking about an exciting new method of trying to prevent the wounds becoming infected with a substance called 1,6-di-4-chlorophenyl by a guanodohexane from ICI, known as hebetine, hebetine which is, of course, oh, yeah. what we would now Alcohol call hexane. chlorhexidine. So yeah, he, was, yeah. he was starting to use that in wounds at that time. The other thing he was trying to do is looking at uh, cross-infection and spotting that when they were starting to see these numbers of staffs in patients, they would also see a huge increase in the number of staff who were colonised with staph aureus. And actually, four years later, down in Torbay, they appointed the first infection control nurse, not because of outbreaks of infection in patients, but because they were losing so many staff. So Miss Cottrell was appointed in Torbay to actually um, be cost effective by stopping staff getting infected and being off sick, which really? is really, really quite interesting. So, yeah, it, he, I mean, he, he talks about Lister as well. His achievements were so complete that the unsolved problems across infection were overlooked for quite some time by surgeons and bacteriologists because they thought they'd really cracked it. But then he goes mm. on to talk about the transmission of bacteria from the environment to the patient through the air. 
And there's mm-hmm. actually a lot of air in this paper. And we're sort of back in, in that area. He talks about no-touch techniques, which we would now call aseptic technique, and then developed into things like ANTT. Uh, but he had a controlled trial published the previous year of an air-conditioned dressing station in the burns unit and showed that if you took the patients away from where they were normally sleeping and put them into a positive pressure, well-ventilated room to do their dressings, they could really cut down the number of infections in the burns unit. Mm-hmm. And then went on to talk about the amount of staphylococci detected in the air after things like bed making, which I can remember when I was a student nurse back in the 80s. You don't do dressings in the morning. I think we've sort of forgotten all of that. Um, the dressing rooms have disappeared to become offices and, and other rooms in, in hospitals. So it was really quite a fascinating paper. A lot of relevance there to today. Yeah. Oh, a huge amount. You know, they they could they could show that they could uh, they reduce the frequency of cross infection by changing the dressings not in the ward but in these specially ventilated rooms. Mm. Uh, and it's he actually talked also about uh, another paper that suggested that treating your laundry with an oil type of substance would actually stop the dissemination of dust into the air because of course when a patient's in bed your clothes and your um, your bed linens are effectively work like a cheese grater. And, and when you're moving the sheets around, you do get plumes of dust. But he showed actually adding this relatively inexpensive oil type of s- substance to the bed linen that actually cut down the amount of dust disseminated into the atmosphere. So wow. it, it was actually an extremely relevant paper for today. And if you're reading this now, you think, yeah, well, actually, we should have really picked up on that. It, it was ahead of things also in uh, looking at um, surgery in the number of rubber gloves where you've got tiny holes so you get staphs and other organisms passing through into the wounds. He talked about cleansing fluids um, like cetrimide and Dettol becoming contaminated with what he called Pseudomonas pyocyanea which we think we would think would be um, Pseudomonas aeruginosa, when dispensed in bottles, but the organism being protected by the cork, which I suspect is a suggestion. Now we would say that's biofilm forming on the cork that you're unable to clean. Mm. So there's a, there's a number of things where he had some idea of what we now know uh, and yet still haven't really accepted. So I, I thought it was yeah. fascinating, to be absolutely honest. Uh, he's also talking about the overuse of rubber gloves, which is also interesting. <laughs> so it's actually a pretty relevant paper, and, and it's, yeah. it's it's interesting to see how we go round and round in circles. So that's that's my paper from 1955. Well, that is a nice one, Martin. Well yeah, well done. It's it's interesting going back, and there's, there's often lots of simple lessons, isn't there, that have been forgotten, and um, that can be a, um, a spark of ideas, can't it, to to read those old papers again. Yeah, now, Martin, didn't you have to do something for a conference at one point in time? Uh, and, and you had to go back to a certain date as well. Uh, was it a Scottish conference that you were talking at? If I might be wrong here recently, but... Oh, it was, it was the, top, um, the top Scottish papers of all time. And I, I went back ah, to yes. people like Lister and Ogston and people like that. And, and Fleming, actually, who was a Scott. <laughs> yeah, right. Even he did the work in Mary's. I remember you saying that there's still so many lessons. I mean, clearly there's a big headline stuff in those pieces at work, but so many lessons still there. It's interesting to go back in history to look at some of this. I wonder, there might be some common themes through all these um, papers that we found across perhaps a couple of decades. Yeah. (laughs) Not not, not quite centuries yet, fortunately. (laughs) Well, Phil, 
Okay, so now, I'm before we hang on, before we goes in, before yeah, yeah, have yeah we got an I'm going to go with the music. So oh, Phil was okay, hoping, yes, okay. Phil was hoping for something good. And yeah, he's got something good, and it's actually oh, right. very apt. So here we go. Oh, nice. Something to say that might cause you pain If I catch you talking to that boy again I'm gonna let you down And leave you flat Because I told you before Oh, you can't do that So, so well, that's very think apt. It is that's very uh, apt. Uh, very, yeah, very, yeah. Did I tell you that I shook Paul McCartney's hand just recently? You did. I did. <laughs> Many oh. times. You told us. <laughs> well, I think we were getting updates on WhatsApp every five minutes. <laughs> we were indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, oh, for, go for into somebody it. who ends up working in infection prevention with the song title, You Can't Do That. I think that's, that's <laughs> spot on. Uh, and, and of course, having met Paul recently, then you know it's even more. Oh, it, it all ties in very nicely, and and and, and so will my papers because one of the uh, my, I've got a theme tonight about hip arthroplasties. Uh-huh. So the first paper that I've got going back to the year that I was born, which was somewhere between sixty three and sixty five, and it was published in JAMA. Um, and we'll put, we're going to put these um, citations up on the website, I guess, aren't we, that uh, if yeah, people yeah. want to go and have a yeah. look at these. And it's titled Wound Infections After Surgery for Fractured Hip, and it's authored by a chap called David G. Murray from Syracuse in New York. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a single author paper, which I was always told to be wary about when you see single author papers, but nevertheless, it's a, um, it's a recount of a series of wound infections that they encountered at their, at their hospital. And um, we don't get a lot of detail about the sort of surveillance that they were doing, but they did look back over five years from 58 to 62 and found that of the 316 hip uh, surgery that they did for a fracture, um, the infection rate was 6.3%. Wow. Slightly (laughs) higher than what we'd expect to see these days. And interesting that the paper talks about similar dilemmas that we have these days and that um, uh, touches on the fact that some of the surgeons that he, uh, he works with aren't particularly interested in that sort of thing, but a lot of them do take it very, very hard. And also a lot of discussion about what defines a surgical site infection <laughs> as well, of course. But for the purpose of this paper, um, they defined an infection as separation involving the subcutaneous or deeper layers of the surgical wound becoming manifest at any time following the surgery. Mm. Um Whilst they were looking back over this five-year period, they identified, I get the sense it was very much a retrospective surveillance activity. Um, Over the five years, they identified one six-month period where the infection rate was 25%. And uh, um, the people who got infections didn't do particularly well. So over over the five-year period, the mortality rate for these patients after a hip uh, replacement was 40%. Oh. 
Amazingly, <laughs> and this is just how far away that you know it doesn't. I don't. I don't feel this old, but this is just how an indication of how things have developed. Um, prophylactic antibiotics weren't routine at that stage, and only mm. four patients who had an infection actually received prophylactic antibiotics. Wow! And uh, um, uh, he can. He in his discussion, he he concludes that with a mortality rate of eight of 20 patients and less than half returning to walking with any form of support, the treatment cannot be considered very successful. <laughs> God, that's the understatement of the decade, isn't it? So, Whoa. So It'd be I, interesting I think the synthesis... out a consent form, wouldn't it? You know, these days, yeah. giving somebody well, a 1% risk or something. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, it's... Mortality. <laughs> Another interesting thing I picked up in the paper which talks about the length of stay, and I'll just quickly try and find that. So for patients who developed an infection, their average length of stay was 77 days in hospital. <laughs> and for those who didn't have an infection, guess how many days they stayed in? Mm, okay, 15. so I'm going to say yeah, 14, 15. 17 was the average. 17. Oh, Whoa. 17 was, was the I mean, average. So. Yeah, but I trained it, but you were in till stitches out. So Yeah, well, well yeah. I, I can remember two weeks as a mm. standard yeah, yeah. often uh, with, the, mm. with the Charlie pillows and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but clearly it's things have changed a lot because what's the average stay now? Two nights, maybe? Yeah, possibly, yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Um, so I just I just really enjoyed that paper. It was, it was nice to read and it just um, reminded me of really how far we've come yeah yeah, yeah that's a good that's a doozy okay nice. so it's drum roll all time right. professor mitchell all right and i'm just <laughs> gonna hear oh now what's the music <laughs> yeah it'll have to be disco won't it <laughs> uh, it's this <laughs> it would be from my age <laughs> uh, uh, it's just, I, I can see him doing this at the karaoke. <laughs> we'll just we'll cut it there, but uh, uh, that's Rod Stewart. Uh, in case you are on another planet, that's Rod Stewart. And do you think I'm sexy? So, mm. <laughs> there you go. So, well, so you found thanks. a really sexy paper for us uh, now, Brett. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it is too sexy, but this paper um, is from the Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine. You know, when we and the decided year, better do the year, 1979, yeah. yeah. So um, when we decided to do this, I didn't take the logical approach that you took, Martin, and go to an infection control journal and um, uh, and well, I couldn't because there weren't any. No, mm. <laughs> that would have been yeah. a logical thing to do, but yeah, I, just, yeah. I just didn't do it. Anyway, so um, this uh, paper is from uh, two authors. Um, I don't... The first pronunciation of the first time I might get wrong. So it's Iran Cranks and Sandra Plath. And um, the the title of it is called... It's actually, it's actually a letter. And um, the title of it is called Growth of hospital infection control program and the infection control nurse. Um, I thought, oh, well, that's, um, that's an interesting one. And um, I'll just read the first paragraph. It's, it's only a letter, so it's uh, a couple of interesting things about it. Fair to this. 
This is a recent export from Britain to North America is a concept of the infection control nurse, an individual central to programs of hospital infection surveillance control now developing in most American hospitals. The explosive growth of infection control activity is likely to reflect the encouragement, in inverted commas, of the hospital establishment and bureaucracy, including accreditation and licensing body, rather than a perceived need. Um, but no matter what, no, no matter the matter, the work is important in its own right. I, I wish we could still write like this because it's. Um, I like that. I like the fact they just write the how they think. Um, ideally, such programs are based on a blend of several disciplines: nursing, ecology, epidemiology, and the methods of infection prevention in relation to modern hospital technology. So, I found that interesting. That first part about this sort of explosion in America at this time of um, of the infection control nurse. And um, the, the, the driver, perceived driver at that point in time was around accreditation and licensing rather than actual patient safety. Um, but also the early recognition that um, this, this idea of infection control and programs needed to have a blend of disciplines um, included in them. And I don't think that that was something that was probably taken up until more recent years. Um, but perhaps we can talk about that. Um, the other, there's a couple of little interesting things here. It says that the ICN's role requires knowledge and judgment uh, based on extensive experience and cannot be filled by a graduate. Um, the ICN relates to many groups, hence maturity, independent action and analytical mind and the ability to communicate are successful. Tact and, fir and firmness are also required. <laughs> <laughs> Persons with less nursing experience and more microbiological background could fulfill data collection aspects and serve on the technical capacity. And then it goes on a bit more. But the other thing I found um, interesting, it started to talk about what was happening in America and um, paralleling the group, sorry, paralleling the growth of the concept of the ICN has been the growth of the Association for Pr Practitioners in Infection Control, or APIC, as it's now called, a grassroots organization formed in 1972, which now has 4,300 members. Um, including 115 practitioners from the United Kingdom. And then goes on to talk a bit more about APIC and um, what it's about. So I thought that that was interesting because I think there are still things there that are really relevant to today about the need for a multidisciplinary team, um, having the right expertise uh, for those who are undertaking uh, the role of infection prevention and control. It's not something... Something should be planned for as part of workforce planning, not just fall into. Uh, and also, you know, this sort of concept of we're doing it just because we have to um, for accreditation reasons. And um, and I thought that was an interesting take uh, as well. Yeah. So the growth of oh, infection illness is in the year of my birth mm. in America. Yeah. Any uh, use of credentialing going on at that time? No, there was no mention of credentialing or... Um, or standards or uh, practice standards or anything like that. So there's a long way to come. Um, no, I think Phil wanted to say something then. He's just showed me he's got two points to make by the looking of this. Two fingers. points. I think the timing is interesting, actually, because this would have been uh, during uh, CENIC, that the big CENIC mm. study, of course, took yeah. took place in the st across the states during the mid-70s, 70, mm. early 70s to 76, 77. So yeah, I think it was published possibly in 79, wasn't it? <laughs> that could have generated some interest mm. in uh, oh, moving into on. infection control. 
I held on. When was the Senex study? Have I missed the Senex study? Yesterday? I think you have. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's published in my year. Yeah, the biggest, the biggest study ever. <laughs> And no, it, it, it wasn't published till the eighties. I don't think so. Oh, okay. oh, it, was, it was it was un, it was undertaken during the seventies. Yeah, yeah, I've got a feeling eighty two rings a bell. Um, okay. that would have been quite comical. Um, <laughs> yeah, so look, that was. Um, uh, and look, the final conclusion of that is in the final analysis, it's the effectiveness of the intervention systems resulting from surveillance which elevates the quality of patient care, and. Uh, I think that rings, rings true today. So I just looked, it was published in 1980. It was published oh, in 1980, hey, so you're excused. You're excused. <laughs> Actually, I found it, just reading out your day, your year of birth, it just depressed me because that means that I was two, uh, you were two when I started as a student nurse. So, so yeah. that, that puts <laughs> things into context yes. a little bit, doesn't it? Yes, and I was approaching my final years of school. Mm. Oh, well, yeah. well, we've... We cover three different decades, I think, with families. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's all yeah. I think. All um, pretty relevant still, though, which is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah nice, nice idea, Martin, with that one. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things we're going to talk about is our favourite podcast of the year. It'd be hard not to do a bit of reflection on um, how we've gone this year. And, um, you know, a big thanks to everyone who's, who's listened in. And it's really nice to actually get the comments um, when we've gone to conferences or people have emailed and... Um, let us know that you're enjoying listening to us. It's good because um, um, there's a lot of work that often goes behind the scenes and Phil does an amazing job with the IT and the editing um, of uh, <laughs> of the podcast. So, yeah, thanks everyone for joining this this uh, this year and listening in. Um Numbers this year for the for the podcast, you know, they continue to, to grow, um, and that's that's just been remarkable to see. Um, and uh, we we get you know hundreds of people listening to each podcast within often within a few days. So um, thanks very much, and please do let us know how you're enjoying things or not enjoying things um, as we as we continue on. So um, on that favorite podcast of the year, Mum. What was one of your favourite podcasts? Oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to mix it up with my favourite podcast on my favourite paper of the year, which was mm-hmm. uh, Hugo Saxon, Aileen oh, Wolfensberger. Oh no, you haven't about, gone there. I've That's what I was going to go. No. <laughs> it was, I mean, Hap is an interest of all of us, and mm. uh, you know that that was a fantastic talk about uh, discussion about how they went about implementing the study. So, I mean, it's you know it, it goes in hand in hand with the paper. Um, but we were able to really chat to them about, you know, how they managed to engage with teams and work through problems, and how the f- constant feedback from the teams was being used to be fed back into the system, so that barriers were overcome very easily. So that that was my favourite one of the year, really, because you know yeah. we can come up with the greatest intervention, but if you can't implement it, you're really struggling. And uh, yeah, I don't think we've cracked that yet, to be absolutely honest. So that no, was look, my... that was my that was my favourite um, pod. Well, it was my favourite paper of the year. Um, that's yeah. the one that I chose as my favourite paper of the year. Um, and I did like the podcast. Uh, I did have a different favourite podcast, but um, that was my paper of the year. Uh, while we're talking about podcasts, though, Phil, what was your favourite um, podcast of the year? Did you have one? Uh, well, um, I must confess, Brett, that. Favorite podcast on the of the year wasn't on their list of things to discuss tonight. Oh, you must it wasn't have on the agenda. You've, 
You've just invented your own agenda. I'm good at doing that. Impetuousness of youth. (laughs) Off pissed, I think it's called, isn't it? Um, Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time I've done that. No, no. I, look, I don't want to pick a favourite podcast for the year, but I do want to say that I really enjoy Martin's podcasts from the conferences. So I think they're yeah. really valuable. Those little um, quick grab and chat podcasts that you do, Martin, at, at the various conferences you get to are fantastic. I think they're really worthwhile. So I'm just going to uh, say that uh, Martin's podcasts from the conferences are my favourites at the yeah, moment. Nice, nice. Mine was actually a chat. Uh, well, similarly, actually, it was it was after a, um, a study day in Perth uh, with Tom Riley, and uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that chat. It was with Martin and Tom, and the funny thing is, we started talking, and then we thought, well, we'll never start recording this um, because we just started chatting away uh, about stuff. I mean, hang on, we're going to capture this, and then we sort of said, to, "We better start recording and now." Tom, can you just say exactly what you just said? So um, I, I enjoyed that chat because the time always flies listening to, to Tom and um, he tells a good yarn with uh, being able to get across a point as well. So uh, I really liked uh, that particular podcast. Did you go for a drive in his, one of his cars? No, I didn't. Did you get to go for a drive, Mum? No, unfortunately, there weren't any car shows on and Tom can only take them out because you're, you're, he's only insured to drive them if there's a particular show. So and being as it was sort of um, almost approaching winter, there was no show on. But I have driven quite a few of them in the past and it's uh, a very pleasant For those who experience. don't know, Tom's got <clears throat> is a, is a um, classic car enthusiast. Um, so, um, my, all right, Phil, well, this was on the list, I think, um, of things to prepare for. Uh, your, t- your t- favourite paper of the year. Favourite paper. So my pa- p- 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 favourite paper continues on the hip theme. And... Is this because I'll you're pick- getting closer to the age of needing one? or Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> Self-interested. He wants to make possibly, an impact before he retires. <laughs> there's, there's that and many other things you probably could do with some replacements. Um by an Australian person, and it was only published just recently. And it's not just the outcome of the study that I like, but it's also the way that the study was conducted that I think is just really has some beauty in it. And Brett, you'll probably really appreciate this. So it's a study by Trish Peel. Um, Trish is a, an investigator, researcher, infectious diseases physician in Melbourne, Australia. And the trial of the study was called a trial of vancomycin and kefazolin as surgical prophylaxis in arthroplasty. It was published in New England Journal of Medicine just recently, uh, October 19, 2023. And it's got a whole cast of of investigators. But the idea of the study is that uh, um, was to assess the efficacy of adding vancomycin to standard surgical antimicrobial prophylaxis with kefazolin to prevent surgical site infections. Now, see if you can, um, I, I'm gonna put this to Brett and see if you can explain this in English for us, Brett. The study was phase four multi-center double-blind parallel group superiority randomized placebo-controlled trial. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, have a go. So um, double blind. So neither the person receiving the treatment uh, or the person giving the treatment uh, knows what treatment it was, whether it was a placebo, uh, the other part of the name, that is um, standard care, or the um, 
treatment arm, which would have been the uh, the addition of vancomycin. So the person also collecting data um, on the outcome would have been blinded to that, so they wouldn't have known which regime that individual uh, received. So that's the sort of double-blind parallel because it's either randomised into a control or an intervention group. Now, uh, talk about the double-blind. Uh, what else was in that title, Phil? Yeah, superiority. So it's superiority. Super, superiority. So you can have a trial that looks to determine whether something is better than something else or it's not. That is, it's not inferior. So not inferior is basically saying, imagine you have two... two uh, drugs of the, or treatments of, of similar efficacy. One's expensive and one's not. You want to improve non-inferiority because you basically want to say that the same because um, we're going to be using a cheaper drug or a drug that has less side effects or whatever it might be. So inferiority is the opposite to that. So proving something is better. Um, and multi-center. So it was a big trial, yeah. this one. Mm. Huge trial, yep. Over 4,000 patients re-enrolled at the trial across um, many institutions. And look, the, the outcome, it's very detailed. And what I like about the paper is that it's really beautifully written. The, the explanations and the detail are um, very succinct and very clear. And it's got um, some wonderful tables and um, flow diagrams in there, which make it very easy to understand. And... Uh, well, the outcome was that um, the vancomycin, the addition of vancomycin to kefazolin was not superior um, uh, against the placebo for prevention of cytosine infections, which I think is a really fascinating finding because it seems to be a standard often in many situations, doesn't it? Yeah. And here is the beauty of why we need good quality trials yeah. in infection, infectious disease, as this was, <clears throat> and also in infection control because... If you look at, if you were to the average person, right, if you said, let's get kefalosin or um, vancomycin, oh, and, uh, plus vancomycin or just just in it by itself, most people would say, oh, of course you could add vancomycin, your likelihood of getting an infection <clears throat> would reduce. Um, you know, that's probably what the, what you generally think, but it didn't plausible. show that. It, that's, it was that's very right. plausible. Yeah. Um, yep. And but it didn't show that, and so I think this is where these type of trials are so important because you can deal with all the kind of bias that other types of studies can introduce through the design. And although that was a long-winded title, it demonstrated uh, the really strength of the design to eliminate a lot of bias um, that could be introduced in other types of trial designs. So. This is the type of um, methodological study that's you know up there with the best. The other thing I really like about the paper, Brett, is how complex these studies are to conduct, mm -hmm. and how how much effort and how much work it takes to to do these studies. This was a study that which was funded by a National Health and Medical Research Council uh, uh, grant. So I don't know what what how much it cost, um, but. I think what caught my attention was there's supplementary file, supplementary data. There's 27 pages of supplementary data, and it included everything about the trial. Listed all the investigators, the site investigators, their details, the data safety and, and um, monitoring committee details, um, the hospital infection control policies of all hospitals involved, lots of their policies they had with antimicrobials. 
Um, it had detailed analysis on sensitivity, mortality rates, adverse events in the whole patient cohort, um, and 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 also the incidence of, of healthcare associated infections. So it, it was a huge. Uh, there must have been fifty plus more people involved in this study mm. to demonstrate one conclusion mm. pretty much and, and which is a really important thing to know but it, i think it, it's it's a really nice study because it it's it's well done it's, it's beautifully conducted but it also brings home how complex and how hard these things are to do yeah yeah and look i hope trish peel is a is an amazing methodologist uh, yeah. and researcher and uh yeah. all the best I, to trish for doing yeah, that yeah absolutely yeah and uh, i hope she pops out many more papers like this with with the team that goes with yeah. it. I mean, we've highlighted yeah, the, right. the massive team that she's got. Um, this is the ASAP trial, known as the ASAP trials. And, oh, That's correct. Yeah. 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 So there's also some good YouTube, I think, um, presentations mm, around this. They, yes, she's got some. That, what, another example is their dissemination of, of their findings. It was, was the YouTube, they've done a number of public um you know discussion forums announcements that mm. have opened up to anybody to go to so it's been really well disseminated mm. as well mm. yeah good choice phil like it well um i guess then that's over to me for my paper of the year and um i uh, now um i'm sticking with the surgical site infection theme um a little bit di- bit different um actually my yeah so a little bit different and um, my top paper was the one that Martin mentioned from Hugo Sachs and Alien Wolfenstein's group um, around non-ventilated associated pneumonia. My second top paper was a review and on surgical site infection in JAMA. Uh, Jessica Sekulam and Dev uh, Anderson, amongst others, were the authors. And it's nothing spectacular about this. We've just talked about a... Um, you know, a high quality RCT. But this for me was a really well put together overview of the current evidence around surgical site infection prevention and really succinctly described the evidence relating to a whole range of things. It talks about the risk factors, but then the prevention strategies from um, sort of the preoperative element to the intraoperative to the postoperative and presented um, a summation of things like the meta-analysis done on different pre-operative approaches, um, similarly with intra-operative and then similarly with post-operative in a really nice table. So you could see things like, okay, well, uh, intra-operative chlorhexidine versus iodine, for example, pre-operative you know, removal of hair uh, and the evidence around, uh, around that. So I really quite liked this paper for its simplicity um, and the way it really presented what is actually a really complex um, topic uh, in a paper that was really quite digestible in an evidence-based format. And I think if we're able to do these types of things and do them well, they really help um, with policy settings at, uh, uh, in, in hospitals and healthcare facilities and I'd like to see a lot more of this type of stuff coming out because I think it would be really useful and really practical for people to, to be able to pick up and hold up, particularly when they're in, done well and published in good journals. I think making it digestible for other professions because one thing I am do notice is we're very good at talking to ourselves about what we know 
Mm. And not that, you know, we don't seem to be able to get the message, you know, when do you see too many infection prevention people sitting there at a surgical conference presenting? You, you know, mm. we'll talk to about surgical site infection at our own conference. And um, mm. so actually mm. publishing those sort of journals and getting the message out to people in a digestible format has to be the way forward to get people to think yeah. a little bit about it. Because yeah. then they might start yeah. coming to us saying, oh, I read this paper in JAMA. What do you think about that? So that would be good. Did did they hi highlight any major gaps, Brett, for um, oh, that needed to be addressed? I think there were, some, there were some gaps there, yes. Yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, there was certainly a highlight of where the evidence wasn't as clear or strong. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so you can use these things, you know, to you try should. and work on things in your own setting as well. But Set your research agenda. Set your research agenda, but also just locally be under understand where the evidence may be a little bit grey and why there might be interpretation of by surgeons or others in of evidence in a different way and uh, mm. accepting that that's that's okay at times as well so um uh yeah so i thought that's why that's why i chose that that particular paper paper this year so speaking of um papers of the year did you go to um a conference that's done papers of the year for infection control this year i hadn't been to one that's done that this year Mm, John Otter did uh, quite a nice session at the IPS conference. Um, I mm. didn't catch the one at ECMID, unfortunately, because um, my flight was delayed on the way back from Shea. Um, but John Otter did a, a nice job, and he, he actually talked about a few of your papers, <laughs> which is very nice. Why else would he ask? <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> So John Otter obviously, obviously does think you're sexy, uh, Brett, so he's, he's with Rod Stewart on that one. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, th those are my favourite sessions, I have to be honest, and, uh, and I've, mm. I've just been asked to do that at the APSIC meeting next year in Jakarta, so I'm looking forward Lovely. to doing that. So look, what, what uh, brings us? I did. Hmm. By the way, I just did have a little look at your both of your years of birth, just to see what you missed. In your choice. Oh, of, uh, I knew you were up to something in the back. I knew you weren't listening to Phil when he what was promoting on then. What, what, what 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 talking about methodology, I don't understand it. So I'll put my hand up there. You know, so I'll, I'll just let you say, if Brett says this is a good study, then I'll go with it. So so what Brett missed was Landau and Saunders, uh, Saunders paper from oh, Archives no, Otterolaryngology, uh, and it was the effect of chlorine bleach on the esophagus. Um, so he must have been uh, preempting President Trump's. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, did he? <laughs> this is where Trump got his. Uh, yeah, yeah. From. And uh, <laughs> Brett missed the first ever description of um, Khaleesi viruses causing outbreaks of diarrhea and vomiting in humans. Well, hang on, who was who was that? Brett or Phil? Was that Brett? That, that was Brett. That was 1979. That was Brett. So that's, you know, that's okay. relatively recent, actually. That's Cubic mm. Swiggin, yeah, winter vomiting disease caused by Khaleesi virus. Because uh, that was yeah. went through a few iterations, and now we we yeah. all about Khaleesi viruses and noroviruses. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there we go. Well, you know, <coughs> we, um, I'd like to say that I saw that, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I That's think our search strategy. Yeah. <laughs> our search strategies may not be reproducible. We'll just I don't declare think so. that now. <laughs> so. <laughs> What's um what does what what does twenty twenty four bring for infection control matters? More of the same. I think uh, so. There's, well, there's plenty of topics out there, aren't there? What do you think, mm. Phil? There's going to be good representation at ECMID, I believe. So uh, mm. hopefully some some yeah. some <laughs> so hopefully no outbreaks there, but uh, some more podcasts. Yeah, 
I'm looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> to to going to Ekmed and hearing hearing some talks from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I think we, we we did move to fortnightly this year, and I think that was just a bit more sustainable. Um, and a big thanks to Martin uh, for for holding the fort at times during the year too, because. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I, I have less to do than you do. Yeah, I have a lot less to do than <laughs> yes. you do. Yes, I'm hoping that um, there'll be a bit more that I can contribute in uh, 2024 than what I have done this year, <clears throat> just for yes. various reasons. So, um, yeah. And all, all thanks to you both for doing the bulk of the pods and Martin for all his, his work. I'm, I'm merely a decoration. <laughs> and not, probably not a good decoration. Oh, no. You, you, <laughs> Something like you wouldn't want to hang it on the Christmas tree, that's for sure. Well, we do uh, enjoy your introductions, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, stats-wise, Phil, more people listen to your podcast than ours. Your average number of Please. listeners is actually uh, 40-plus higher than ours. So you, you pick oh, the so zingers. And, uh, oh, absence well, makes the heart great. Is that just because he's denominator so low? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment. You see, your statistical mind just goes straight in for that sort of stuff. I really had no clue. All right, well. Um, Must be that, time for you to start singing Christmas carols, Brett. Yeah, that, that won't happen, Phil, because like you won't get me on a karaoke. Um, but. Oh, we, de- we so have to do that. With your oh, signature tune now. What we know now is your signature tune. <laughs> well, the, the key question is, what music are you going to put to the uh, to the sign out for this? Uh, oh, actually, you do have a jingle already, haven't you, Martin? From don't have a jingle already, so there'll yeah. be a jingle going out on the end of it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And uh, on a personal note, any any uh, particular things of interest you're doing over the Christmas period? Mm, me, I'll have the family around, so I cook and I do enjoy that uh, and i've i've got a weekend away in the camper van at a christmas party gig by a couple of bands i like over the other side of the country so i'm going to go over and nice. have a nice night out too wet for golf over the christmas period uh course closed today so yeah uh, definitely. i'll, I'll yeah, play yeah. If, it's, if it's not you know not closed but uh, yeah what about you phil uh pretty uh, busy um this this christmas family obligations of course and we've got a couple of friends out from the states visiting us and so we're going to show them the sights of melbourne and victoria and uh and then back to work excellent yeah and you brett cricket oh uh, yes my yeah. kids cricket will be uh for friends and have a family coming down and then camping camping and cricket will be the two things that i'll be doing over the uh next month or so so looking forward to that right i've got a couple of textbooks ordered i've got one uh, on uh, cluster randomized control trials, I'm expecting to arrive any day now. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention another textbook, actually. But... <laughs> no, I don't mention it. Yeah, uh, I think you should. You uh, should. It was, it was yeah, one you edited that was out recently, really. It was launched in a yeah. very low profile way, I believe. Yeah, it was. And um, <laughs> it's, um, it's uh, out there for anyone who wants to read it. Um, and uh, I've also got a, a Shane, book on Shane Warne I'm going to read, I think, over the Christmas period, too. I haven't had a chance to read his biography, so I'm going to do that. Oh, nice. Yes, all right. We better wrap this up before we start saying something we regret. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is uh, awesome. Um, well, gentlemen, as always, yes. lovely to, to uh, have done the podcast throughout the year with you both. And um, 
special thanks to everyone for listening in and particularly to this one of <clears throat> this one of the year which we always goes a bit longer than than the other ones actually that's a common problem we do have with our podcast we always say we're going to do a quick podcast and it ends up being a lot longer because we just get engrossed in a topic so apologies for when we say it's going to be a quick podcast and it ends up being for half an hour but i think that's why people have a pause button though or a yeah. Yeah. Stop and, yeah. <laughs> or a stop and delete. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry to you both as well. Yeah. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to happy, everybody. Happy and Festivus. We will have some more podcasts beginning in early 2024. Bye, Ciao. Everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs>